0: I want to continue speaking on the series that we've started a few weeks ago and that is on the Holy Spirit and we're speaking primarily right now on the fruit of the Spirit and um, I just want to ask the Lord this morning as the gardener of our vineyard personally to protect and to provide protection for us and nourishment for us as the fruit in our lives ripens and matures So that we can be nourishment to the community around us. And I say that because so many times we are impatient and we just want to jump right into the um, gifts and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And yes, that's good. And it's right to do that. It is right to eagerly seek the gifts. We're instructed to do that. But it's very important also that we mature in our life so that we can properly use the gifts and that we can properly be a tool um, of godliness in our community that we earned the right to be heard that we earned the right from people that we earn their respect and what's so unfortunate is the Pentecostal movement of our day today over the past century has morphed into a into a bed of hypocrisy a bed of people professing one thing living another way Um, we've had a lot of teaching that has been right to a degree but just off enough that it's messed people up um Prosperity, name it, claim it. You you name it, you you can (laughs) you can claim it. You know, uh, there's been a lot of partial truth spoken, and people have lived out certain things that have brought disgrace, in all honesty, to the Holy Spirit. And what we're trying to do here over the next few weeks, and what we've been doing so far, is to build a foundation as to how the Holy Spirit can be used in a life that is promoting godliness in living a life sold out to Jesus not living a life halfway you know I was reminded this week that when Jesus died on the cross and he gave himself for us he gave all of himself for us he didn't do it halfway he didn't half die no he completely died he gave it all for us. And yet, somehow, some way, we have figured out in our Christian walk that he's satisfied with us when we give him half of ourself. Why do we think that? If he gave everything for us, why would he be happy with half back yet from us? And we've lived that way. Our church has lived that way. Our, our country has lived that way. In fact, we're giving less and less to him and still thinking he's happy. And I'm telling you, folks, he's not happy. He's grieved. The only way he's going to be happy with us is when we give ourselves completely to him. 100%. Hold nothing back. Don't think that you can keep something from God and then be pleased by him, or pleasing to him. Think of Ananias and Sapphira when they brought their gifts to the early church. They came and said, "We are giving you all of the proceeds from this land that we sold." They lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, if they would have come in and said, "We sold this piece of property for a thousand dollars and we're going to give $800 to the church and we're going to keep $200 that would have been okay they would have accepted the gift and life would have been good but they came in saying no we've given it all and many times that's what we profess to God God I'm giving you my all but yet down and deep inside me there's that little thing I have in my heart that little hidden place in my heart that I truly haven't given to God do you think he doesn't know that Do you think you're really fooling God? Ananias and Sapphira didn't fool God, and there was an example given that day where they both died on the spot. Thank God he's patient with us today. Thank God that he doesn't put us to that kind of test. But I would just encourage us all this morning that if we are going to profess truly that we love Jesus with all of our heart, then do it. Then do it. Love Him with all your heart. Give Him everything you have. Don't hold anything back knowingly. Ask Him to search you on a regular basis and teach you and to reveal areas in your life where there are some hidden things. Maybe you don't even know about them. Maybe they're repressed. Maybe they're so pushed down in your soul you don't even know it. But He will reveal it to you. And when He does, act on it. When we can have that kind of maturity in our life, then the power of the Holy Spirit can be powerful and effective. The reason that we're spending so much time talking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives rather than, rather than just jumping into the manifestation of the gifts is that ripened fruit proves maturity. Ripened fruit pr- proves maturity more than just simply operating in a gift. Like we said a few weeks ago, people of all ages get gifts. Babies get gifts. A gift does not indicate at all that you're mature. We give gifts to little babies that doesn't mean they can operate in a gift <laughs> we might give a gift to Joel or Micah my little granddaughters but they may not be able to use it because they're not old enough to use it but you gotta give them the gift in some ways God does the same thing with us he gives us a gift and then he's asking us to be responsible with the gift that we operate in it wisely that we mature and we operate in it and that's why we're talking about um, maturity so that we then can be a person that operates in a mature gift with mature fruit and that we can have the best of God. In other words, when I can operate in the world in the fruit of the Spirit with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentle, self-control, live all that up and I can live that way and people see that fruit in my life and then I tell them, Jesus loves you too. Man, that's powerful. Then, my gospel, then, then the gospel message that I give them is backed up by a life but when I'm living in a world of impatience and I don't love them, and I'm not kind and I'm rude and I'm not, I'm not living in the fruit of the Spirit and then I say, Jesus loves you, they think, what planet are you coming from? Who are you to tell me Jesus loves me in the way you act? So that's why we need to ma- be mature. So we need to act like we love Jesus. That's <laughs> why so we need to live like that way so that we have an example. And we have a choice. We have a choice. What kind of person are you interested in being today? Are you interested in being that person that is worthy of listening to or not? It's our choice. It's our choice. And so now this biblical foundation that we that we're building upon it's our choice to build it. It's your choice to build it. Are you going to be built on a foundation of God's word? Are you going to have a Christian faith that's founded on a strong and permanent foundation? see if our faith is built on a shifting foundation if our faith is built on a wavering foundation then at best our life will be shifting and wavering if it doesn't collapse and implode on us I can't build a strong building on a shifting foundation and expect it to last you can't build a strong faith you can't have a strong Christian life if you don't have a strong solid foundation because as soon as something comes to waver it or to push it and if your foundation isn't firm then you'll be pushed or you'll waver or you'll doubt or you'll sin so that's why a foundation is so important for a building and a foundation is so important for our Christian world and our Christian life so what is this foundation we're speaking of well, many of us in this building today already have it, and that is the, on, we're building our faith on the Word of Jesus Christ, on the Word. And, on, and that's, on, that's the only place we can build our foundation is on the Word. It's not on a man's teaching. It's not on a fad. It's not on the latest and greatest popular message. No, it is on the, it is on the Word of Christ, and it is the foundation of it is the Bible. It is the Bible. It is the Word of God, and that is, there is no other source of an eternal foundation that leads to eternal life than the Word of God. That's the only one. The world offers many other options. The world would offer many counterfeits. But there's only one firm and lasting foundation, and that is the rock of Jesus Christ. And on that is what we build. So with that said, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Read it with me on the banners. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that's the fruit last week we spoke about love today we're going to talk about joy and peace in the Greek the word is Kara k-a-r-a Kara and it means rejoicing happiness or gladness that's what joy means according to Webster it means to experience great pleasure or delight by the prospect of possessing what one desires joy is at the prospect of of possessing what you want, the Christian life is meant to be a joyful life, regardless of the circumstances that surround us. The Christian life is meant to be joyful, but for some odd reason, there are many Christians that have a complex about being joyful. They, they fear joy, maybe because that if things are so good, if things are going too good. It's just a matter of time before the shoe falls and the enemy attacks and my joy is taken away. Well, let me tell you right now, that's exactly, good, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen. The next shoe is going to drop and the enemy is going to attack when you're joyful. So don't think that you can avoid it don't think that you can live in a state of constant utopia and joy without any pressures the fact of the matter is both are gonna happen but as the fruit of the Spirit matures in the life of the believer we can have joy in the midst of the situations we can have joy in the midst of the turmoil scriptures are full of passages that instruct us to be joyful and to rejoice Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 Nehemiah said go and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is holy to our Lord do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength Psalm 1611 you make known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand now according to Psalm 1611 where is the joy found where? Speak it. In His presence. Where is joy not found? In the path of life. But yet, where do we typically look for joy? We typically look for joy in the path of life. We typically think that life is going to bring joy. But that's not what Psalms 16.11 11 says. It says that joy is in the presence of the Lord. We're to be joyful in the presence of the Lord. So when you're looking for joy in the wrong places, then no wonder we're struggling with joy in our life when we're looking for joy in the world. And we're not told. We're told we're not going to find joy in the world. Isaiah 51, 11, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter. Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. All right? Let me ask the question. Who is entering Zion with singing and joy? Read it. Somebody tell me. Who's entering Zion? Those the Lord has rescued. Who are we this morning? We are those the Lord has rescued. We are those. Jesus has died for our sins and rescued us. So therefore, what should our reaction be to that? should we not be joyful should we not enter into into everlasting joy and worship with our Lord because he has rescued us this passage is for me and you today the who those the Lord has rescued that's you and I because we are, at one time were doomed for the, to for destruction we were doomed to die but the Lord rescued us therefore we are to enter into his presence with joy and celebration and eternal joy because our eternal joy will never cease because we've been rescued 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 9 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And the verse continues on giving us the reasons why we have the right to be joyful in this life. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. The other shoe is going to drop. It's coming. The the trials are coming. And these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold but yet still perishes even though refined by fire. In other words, gold is refined by fire and it's precious, but your faith is more precious than the gold and the, gold's gonna ref- the gold is going to perish, but your faith is not. Your faith is not, and as a result, your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious, what? Joy. Joy fills our life. For we are receiving the end result of our our faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy. Joy is based on what is to come, even though we may have trials and tribulations today. First Peter 4, chapter, 12, chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. So don't be surprised when you have problems. Don't be surprised when the other shoe drops. It's going to. (laughs) But that's okay. It's all right. Don't panic. Don't give up. God wants his people to be joyful and enjoy life. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God wants you to have a joyful life? Do we have a clear understanding of that? The only way, if you're struggling with this, The only way that we're going to have a clear understanding of what it means to have joy is to understand of what we've been forgiven from and that we've been accepted into the family of God and that we have a relationship with the creator of joy. If I can get that into my peanut up here, if I can get that up here that can go from my peanut to my heart, All of a sudden now I have a reason to have joy because joy is based in me not because of what's around me but but because of what's within me and that's Jesus Christ and the eternal salvation that's coming to me because I've put my faith in Him. And with that then I have joy. Everlasting joy. We experience joy when we finally realize the true source of it. What is the source of joy? Joy. Is it in this world? No, it's in the promise of eternal life through the power of Jesus shed blood on his cross. That is the eternal source of joy. And when I can grasp that and understand that, and when I can live in that, then life can fall down around me. Problems can come around me, and I can still have joy because what the Lord what the world didn't give me, the world can't take it away. Jesus gives me joy. Nobody can take Jesus from me. Therefore, I have joy in the midst. So how do we maintain a joyful life? It's one thing to have joy for the moment. It's one thing to be joyful right now in church. But how do we maintain a joyful life? Let me tell you very simply, how you maintain a joyful life is being in and staying in a proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is the only way we'll able to be able to maintain joy living in the midst of this broken and dark world is by maintaining a relationship with Jesus. See, this doesn't mean that I'm going to be exempt from sickness, poverty, disease, at all. But as I live in the Spirit... As I live step and step, as I keep in step with the Holy Spirit, He will give me a supernatural ability to have a joyful heart in the midst of everything the world throws at me. The difference between a person that is in proper relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and not a person that is in relationship with the Lord is the level of joy in their life. When I really understand who Jesus is and when I really understand what He's done for me, I can't help but have joy. It's when I start doubting that or when I don't believe that. There's a difference between earthly joy and heavenly joy. Earthly joy, earthly happiness, and joy may come to people. I know a lot of people that apparently are happy in this life, but it's not long-lasting. I'm happy and joyful when things are going well. I've got money in the bank. My health is good. Kids are healthy and strong. My boss likes me. I get the promotion at work. Man, life is good. I'm happy. That's earthly joy. Heavenly happiness and joy also comes with all those good things. But there's more to it. Thank goodness there's more to that. Yeah, I want to be joyful when my boss likes me. I want to work hard in the job so that I get that promotion. That's fine. That's all good. But heavenly joy extends when these positive physical things are, are not present. What happens if I am sick? or what happens if I lose a job or what happens if my kids are struggling with their life what happens with my relationship with my spouse isn't going real well or or work is hard and very demanding see the enemy's attacks are ongoing and ever-present don't ever think we're gonna be exempt from them don't ever think we're gonna be out from the enemy's attack because the more you live for Christ the more you're gonna be attacked I'll tell you that right now the more on fire you are for Jesus, the more the devil's going to come against you because he's the one that you're, you're scaring him. You're, you're a, an affront to him. It's those that aren't doing anything for Christ are the ones that are not going to be attacked because they're not doing anything to create the attack. So what do you want in life? Do you want to be attacked? Or do you want to live a peaceful life? <laughs> well... It all depends really what your perspective is on eternity. Would you, do, you, do you really want to have the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of life, whatever you have left in this world, do you want your peace and prosperity then? Or do you want your peace and prosperity for eternity? Yeah. So, do you want to be attacked? Then live like it. Amen. See, when a person is maturing the fruit in their life and they're living above the circumstances in their life and having joy in the middle of their darkest hour, this isn't a denial of the problems. This person is not denying the problems exist. No, the problems exist. He's not denying that. He just recognizes that his strength doesn't come from this world. His strength doesn't come from how well he does in this world. No, his strength comes as, a, as on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God doesn't change, does the Spirit of God change? Is it eternal? Is it everlasting? Yeah. Okay, since joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and since the Spirit of God doesn't change, neither does the fruit. The fruit doesn't change. Regardless of the circumstances that it's in, the fruit doesn't change. No matter how bad the circumstances are, the joy of the Spirit is still there. Still there. Not looking at today's problems and not being ingested by that and not being focused in on that, but looking ahead. You know a perfect example of this is Jesus Christ? Jesus was always a perfect example for us. Hebrews chapter, two, t- chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 talks about how Jesus got through some things in his life. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or the author of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's go back to this a minute. What was the foundation of the joy in Christ's life? What was the foundation of the joy of Christ's life? What does it say? For the joy set before him. See, he was looking down the road at the joy that was going to come from the persecution that he was going to go through. This does not in any way suggest that Jesus was looking forward to the pain and misery that he was going to endure on the cross. Jesus was no superman. He was a man like you and I. He was going to feel the pain. He was going to feel the agony. He was going to feel the the, uh, scourging of men. He was going to feel the pain when God, his Father, turned his back on him. He was going to feel it all. He wasn't looking forward to that. But yet he had joy for for the joy set before him. He had joy because he knew that what he was going through was going to be worth it. And he understood that the result of the process would be so much worth the agony and the pain that it gave him joy to know that it was going to be worth it in the end. In the same way, our lives can be that way. In the same way, we can have joy in the midst of our problems, knowing that God is working in our lives. He's taken off the rough edges of me. He's putting me through some tests, some tribulations, some trials, not to hurt me, but to make me better, but to make me worthy of his process so that I can live and die like Christ lived and died, so that I can crucify the flesh man so that I can live with him forever, so that I can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. He's taken me through a process of pain and misery for the joy set before me is going to be worth it that I can go through the problems of life. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to practice joy in the midst of the problems of life, that we could practice it, that we could apply it, that we could understand it. We read a verse in Nehemiah 8, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of who? Yeah, it's the joy of the Lord. It's not the joy of Mike Way. It's not the joy of your name. Put your name in there. It's not what you can fabricate on your own that gives you strength. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And when I recognize that that I'm not dependent on my ability to produce joy, but rather it's in my ability to recognize the giver of joy and he's the one that forgives me of my sin he's the same person that gives eternal life he's the giver of joy and when I can put my strength in him I have joy the joy of the Lord is my strength I don't have to chase anything else I don't have to chase the bottle I don't have to chase sex I don't have to chase prosperity I don't have to chase wealth or fame I don't have to chase all that stuff because that's not going to give me joy anyways. That at the end is only going to give me misery when it's gone because if I'm putting my faith on what I can contain in my hands, when it's gone out of my hands, there is no faith left. There's no joy left. So I have to put my joy in the strength of the Lord. Amen. Joy. Let's talk about peace. Peace is, is referenced as fruit is defined as being in a state of quietness and serenity, possessed and anchored in a confident, confident, relaxed, repose, independent on the circumstances that surround. That's a big definition. But basically it means this, that we can live in a state of peace no matter what's going on around us. No matter if there's bombs blowing up around us, turmoil around us, doesn't make any difference. I can live in peace. Again, this sounds like living in a state of denial and not facing reality, but it's not that at all. The truth of the matter is that if I'm going to live a life that requires or live in a life of peace, it's going to require in me that I have to be totally sold out in my relationship to Jesus Christ. And I have to be in a proper relationship with Him. That's how I have peace i don't have peace any other way we have to go back to that foundation we talked about this is why the foundation is so important that's why we have to have a solid foundation of who jesus is and what i'm building my life on because when i put my life on that foundation built on the eternal power the eternal foundation of christ he's the peace giver and when i put my trust in him when i put my trust in that Then what happens around me then doesn't nearly impact me as much because my foundation is secure. How do we do this? How do you build this foundation? Well, we have to strip away some things in our life. We have to strip away the things in our life that would keep us from trusting in God completely. A person that plays the game of living for Jesus that truly isn't the one that says i'm taking up my cross i'm crucifying my flesh but never really doing it do you think, think that man's going to have peace i like what patrick walton said a few weeks ago remember he was here from kansas city international house of prayer he said a couple weeks ago that those that are struggling in their walk with christ he he gave a very simple reason and he said something like this he said if you're struggling in your ability to live a life of victory understand why The reason is Jesus is trying to kill you. He's doing everything he can to kill the flesh man in you, to crucify those fleshly desires, and everything that keeps you from completely surrendering everything you have and are to him. Jesus is trying to kill the flesh man in you, and and he's doing it with a smile. Because with that, when he can kill the flesh man, then he can have all of you. That is how we can begin to live in peace. This is exactly what has to happen to a person if we are to live for Christ, which will result in the fruit of peace being mature in us. See, if you're holding anything back from God, anything back at all, and then asking for a life of peace, it's not going to happen. Let me just tell you right now, it's not going to happen. God is not in the compromise. God is not into give and take. He's not a negotiator here. God is all into all of you because he was into all of him. Just like we talked about a little bit earlier. He's not negotiating a peaceful life with a person that isn't willing to surrender completely to him. So if you're struggling in peace in your heart, then do some self-evaluation and say, Lord, what is there in my heart that I'm still holding on to? Why am I struggling in this area? Do I have some addictions? Do I have some pet sins that I haven't really saw them as sins before? I have just saw them as personality traits? Lord, if there's something in me that is not allowing you to be peaceful with me, then reveal those to me so that I can make a change. And this is not just for the immature Christian. This is for the mature believer as well. See, I'm constantly going through this process. I'm constantly going through this self-evaluation process because the devil is so subtle he's so deceptive he can get in so many different ways in my life even though I think I'm on guard he can come in with pride he can come in with arrogance he can come in with all kinds of stuff that if I'm not constantly on guard saying Jesus reveal to me if I'm not feeling peace why what's going on in me what aren't you pleased with what are you trying to get in my heart 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of peace sanctify. What does sanctify mean? Set apart. May the God of peace... I'm asking God to sanctify me. I'm asking God to set me apart. God, get in me and find out what's going on in me and set me apart from myself so that I can understand what's going on within me. I'm not asking him to set me apart from people. I'm not asking me to compare myself against another pastor or you against another church member. No, we're not talking about that set apart. We're talking about set apart in my heart. God, set apart me in my heart that I rise above sin. I rise above my little pet Caves, the little things that I protect in me, that little, that little area in my, in my heart, that little, that little room in my heart that I have the key to, that I haven't given you the key to that heart. I've given you the key to the rest of my heart, but I've got this area over here, God, that I want to protect. I don't know what it is for you, but, but you might have one. I might have one. I've got to give all the keys to Christ. I've got to say, go in my heart, Lord, with your inspection light and inspect every part of me, and if you see anything in me that you're not pleased with, Bring it to my attention so that I can deal with it, so that I can have peace. That's what it is to live in a continuous sanctification process or a setting apart process for the the things of God. So that our whole body and our whole soul and our whole spirit can be kept blameless before God. Not, Not perfect. Not living a life of self-righteousness, not living a life of perfection on my own, but living in a life of blameless before Christ because I'm giving him the authority to convict me. I'm giving him the authority to challenge me. I'm giving him the authority to get in my knickers and tell me what he doesn't like and that I have then the guts and I have the boldness and I have the power with the power of the Holy Spirit to change. Change. Yeah, I may have to change something. Imagine that. I might have to change. Do you want peace? Are you willing to change for it? This is the kind of life that is at peace. God is a God of peace that when He works in us to do His will, He compounds and multiplies more peace into our life as we're living pleasing and purposeful and doing and accomplishing His will. He will give us more peace. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 and 21 Now may the God of peace the God of what the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sh- sheep will he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever Amen you know we all feel good after a good day's of work, don't we? Yesterday, my mom was a slave driver. Man, I went down to the lake and she got me working hard. Feel sorry for me now a little bit because my mom she was brutal. And you know my mom, you know how brutal she can be, right? Now she asked me if I would power strip or strip. What do I, what do I call it? Power wash, power wash her deck. I said, yeah, I got an hour. Four hours later, man. But you know what? I felt really good after that. It felt good to look back at that deck and see how nice and clean it was. And you know, <laughs> my mom too, that's good. Just don't get slivers. It's kind of rough right now, so pick up your feet, mom. Don't scuff them or you'll get slivers when you cross, cross, cross that wood. But you know, as much as we feel good about a day of physical labor by doing things, imagine how much better we feel when we do the will of God and when we actually work and walk in the will of God how much peace he gives us when we're walking according to his will rather than walking against it if you're kicking at the goads don't expect to feel peace if you're swimming uphill swimming uphill if you're swimming upstream <laughs> Jenna, let's figure that one out will you how do you swim uphill Jenna if you're swimming upstream against God's will don't expect it to be an easy swim. You're going to get tired. You're going to get burned out. You're going to potentially drown. So, what we need to do is be smarter than the stream. And when we feel that tension, when we feel that pressure, when we feel that burnout coming, ask ourselves, wow, I'm working, but am I working according to the will of God's word in my life? Or am I working against it? My wife tells me all the time, she goes, You're better off to work smarter than harder. And that really bugs me when she says that because it typically means I'm not working very smart. But that's really true. When I find myself struggling in my Christianity, when I find myself struggling with something, I'm probably not doing the will of God. I'm probably going against the will of God because God's will brings peace. And when I actively walk in peace, when I actively walk in the will of God, He brings peace in my life and He multiplies it. As good as I felt after wa- power washing my mom's deck, I, multiple times more I feel good when I'm doing God's will. Multiple times more. He, he multiplies the peace into my life. It's those people that are the posers. And maybe we've all been the posers for a while in our life. Maybe we still are the poser. Maybe we alternate between posing, meaning that we're, we're um, supposing to be something that we're not but if I truly want to have peace and I I must be a true follower of God not a pretender not a um, one that does it when it feels good and don't do it when I'm in the other crowd no you're gonna have to buck the other crowd you're gonna have to fight hard in the other crowd to live a life for Jesus if you want multiplied peace in your life then buck the world fight the world and when you fight the world, peace comes in your life from God. That's eternal peace and it'll last. Yeah, you might have an element of peace if you just give in to the world. You might have it when you're with that group of people for a little while. When the party's going on and you're partying hardy with the party, it might feel like that's the thing to do. But the next morning, I guarantee you, you want to have peace if you're professing to be a Christian. So... What do you want? Do you want peace that lasts for the party? Or do you want peace that lasts for eternity? You're going to fight hard. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work in this world for peace. Peace does not come easy sometimes. But you're fighting. What, you have to realize, what are you fighting? Are you fighting God or are you fighting the world? The choice is ours. I quoted a few weeks ago from Dr. Alex Ness in his book, from The Holy Spirit. I want to quote again his, his, his take on peace. He says this Peace as a fruit of the Spirit does not come because of an absence of trouble, worry, or anxiety. The peace of which we write comes, remains, and matures as a result of Christ's vicarious atonement, and then because of our living in right relationship with God, men, and ourselves. Since our peace is not based on secular things, then the secular things cannot take away peace. If money, security, friends, governments, and others, are not the source of our peace, then the absence or failure of these things does not take away our peace. Imagine that. Imagine a peaceful person that doesn't have money to pay their bills. Now, let me put a caveat here. Because if you go back and if you are a tither, meaning that you give the first fruits as instructed in Malachi, you want peace? Tithe. The promise is that all your needs will be met. God promises that. Not a preacher. Not a name a claimant person. God's word says all your needs will be met. Trust me, test me in this, he says. If I won't throw open the heavens of the, 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 the windows of heaven, trust me, all your needs will be met. And that is a promise from God's word that doesn't mean go buy Cadillac because that may be a want not a need understand the difference we get into problems when we start getting confused between our needs and our wants all of a sudden I need to have my wants filled that's not what the promise is you might struggle with your finances if even if you're tithing if you're living above your means because you're living into your wants not your needs make a difference you understand the difference there but if you want peace God says I will give you peace when you follow my commandments when you are obedient to my word when you walk according to my will when you tithe when you do the things are instructed you to, I've instructed you to do I will guarantee you peace so how do we live in peace well, we live in and we believe in the word of God. Psalms chapter 119 verse 165 through 168. Great peace great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. For I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes for all my ways are known to you. That man has great peace because he loves the word of God because he lives in it he studies it he meditates on it and he walks it out when we learn to live in God's word and apply it peace follows that person learn of God's word be teachable and be willing to change the things in your life that take away the peace determining in your heart to apply what you hear don't let God's words come and leave just as quickly as you read them when you sit in a church service you're hearing, you're agreeing, you're saying amen sometimes maybe to yourself, I don't know but don't forget the words when you walk out the door apply what you're learning in here apply what you're learning when you have your devotional time in the morning you read you read this little word for today which is a great little devotional thing you read that apply it take, and, take what you learn and put it in your heart and learn how to apply those things and when you do that you'll have peace colossians chapter 3 verse 15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the message of Christ dwelling among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through Him let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts you were called to peace people we were called to peace. We're not called to unrest. We're called to peace, and we do this through the message of Christ dwelling among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another. Now, teaching and admonishing—that word "admonish" stuck, just popped out to me when I read this, and so I went to the—I went to the concordance, and the word "admonish" here is defined as to warn and instruct well wait Mike we're talking about peace so where does warning and instruct come in with peace you see if we're gonna have peace in the body we often think that that means no confrontation peace often comes with the connotation that we're gonna have just a smooth ride everything's gonna go well fine but how do we maintain peace we, main t- ma- we maintain peace as a body we were all called to peace but then it tells us that we are to teach and warn and instruct each other alright now what does that mean that means that I'm to be a teachable man I'm to be able to be taught I'm to be able to learn from another person I'm, a, I'm to able to come into a Bible study into a Wednesday night into a Sunday school into a setting where I am hearing good Bible teaching, and I'm letting them warn me and instruct me and to teach me, and when I'm willing to do that, peace will reign in my heart. For those that, that, that will just not come under another man's teaching, I'm going to have to warn you, there's some problems there. There's some problems there. I know I'm getting into knickers here, but that's okay. I've done it before. But if you will not sit in the Sunday school class, if you will not come to Wednesday nights, if you will not come to a Bible study, because you've got it all figured out and you don't need it, that's not peace in the body. Not according to what I'm reading. What I'm reading here, let peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We are to embellish each other's gifts. We're to listen. We are to honor a person that's teaching. We are to come into another man's class and be taught. That's good. That brings peace. That brings peace in the body. How do we we maintain peace? Philippians chapter 4. And this is where we're going to end. Jackie, you can come. And uh, let's get ready for some more worship. How do we maintain peace? We We maintain peace by a practice of prayer and thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, not some, not the good ones, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't understand where peace comes from. I don't understand how people that have lost children, that have lost jobs, that have been through the mill three times over, I don't understand how they can have peace in their heart. Because it is beyond my understanding. God is so big, He loves us so much. He has so much in store for us that he brings us peace beyond my understanding when I pray about everything at all times. So this morning, when the world rocks your boat, if you're really turned upside down right now, then get on your knees. Get on your knees and pray about it. Don't just give a flippant prayer at dinner time, saying, God, I'm just praying for this. No, get on your knees. Be fervent in your prayers. Be fervent in your prayers. Take authority over the situation. Don't panic. Don't give up. Don't get mad at God and say, God, you've left me again. Don't blame people. No, go to God in prayer. In every situation, with a thankful heart, present your needs, your fears, your concerns to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will give peace into your mind. Now you may say, Mike, you, have, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. And you're right, I don't. I don't, but God does. The giver of peace knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the turmoil you're in. He knows the world that's rocked you upside down. And you know what? He's not bothered by it because he's in control of it. So I may not know what I'm talking about, but he knows what he's talking about. And he's got every right to speak into your life. So this morning, we want to spend the next quarter to 12. We want to spend the next 15 minutes or so we just want to invite you to come up. We're going to worship some more. I want you to come up to the altar. I want to just make this a time of intercession and of prayer. And I want people to be delivered today. I want, I want to make a difference today in your lives. This is not a time to be timid. This is not a time to be ashamed or embarrassed. This is a time to get on your knees before God. you got problems in your life. You got You need peace. This is how you do it. This is how we do it. So we're going to sing, we're going to praise. I invite you to stand up with me. I invite you to move around. I invite you to get free in the spirit. And let's just, let's just ask him. Let's pray for a minute first. Oh, Jesus. Father in heaven, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, do I just declare peace in this place? I declare joy in this place. But Lord, I can only do so when I'm obedient to you. So Lord, for those here this morning that are struggling with joy, struggling with love, struggling with peace. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be shown, blown wide open this morning that you, Holy Spirit, have ability, that you're welcome here and that you would come into our lives and you would bring conviction and you would bring freedom. Lord, as we walk in your peace, as we walk in your authority, as we give ourselves to you this morning, Father, we are going to now exercise and we're going to practice it. We're going to put it in place and we're going to work on it today because we're going to worship you and we're going to serve you and we're going to dig in and we're going to be victorious in the name of Jesus Amen Amen let's praise him
1: There's nothing more